Welcome to the Quadcast, a Yale Divinity School podcast series featuring expert insight and opinion on contemporary religious and political issues. In this episode, Yale alum Emily Judd interviews Professor Ken Minkema, who directs the Jonathan Edwards Center at Yale. Dr. Minkema talks about the legacy of Christian pastor Jonathan Edwards, who is regarded as North America's greatest theologian. There are over a thousand of his sermons that have survived, and these are all sermons he wrote uh, and delivered. Dr. Minkema corrects common misperceptions about Edwards' most famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Actually, the sermon isn't really about hell, is it? It's actually about the uncertainty of life. And Dr. Minkema talks about what prompted the first international Jonathan Edwards conference at Yale. We saw, okay, we really need to also recognize the international nature of Edwards's reach uh, and the breadth of interest. Welcome, Dr. Minkema, to the podcast today. Thank you very much for inviting me. So Jonathan Edwards was a Yale-educated Protestant theologian who lived in America in the 18th century. What's so remarkable about Jonathan Edwards? His legacy has continued into the 21st century and has spread worldwide. Well, first of all, um, there's the extent of his output. Um, He wrote a tremendous amount which has been preserved, and actually Yale owns the great majority of that collection. The range of his writings is really impressive and, and comprehensive. Um, it's all different genres. Um, it covers many different topics in theology and philosophy um, and uh, history. So are a lot of his, uh, the material that you just mentioned, are they sermons that he preached or wrote or both? Um, the, the sermon corpus itself, there are, there are over a thousand of his sermons that have survived. And these are all sermons he wrote uh, and delivered. But then we also have uh, all of his treatises, his philosophical notebooks, um, uh, and other things that uh, complement and supplement the, the sermons as well, that interact with them. So how does... He- Jonathan Edwards, a New England theologian from 300 years ago, still speak to today's world. Well, I mentioned briefly that um, Edwards um, speaks to many different topics, and here's one area where uh, I think that's especially important today. Um, We usually think of Edwards as the preacher of, (laughs) you know, the angry God, and we're all sinners in the hands of that angry God. And we think of him as the quintessential fire and brimstone preacher from his uh, involvement in the mid-18th century revivals known as the Great Awakening. However, hell and damnation were actually a, a lesser topic of interest and preaching to him than things like the beauty of God. You know, he was a uh, he was interested in this category of beauty, God as beauty. In fact, he drove beauty to the center of his theology. Quite unique for a Western theologian. As such, he's interested in aesthetics as well. Um, he's interested in heaven. Uh, he preaches on heaven more than he does on hell. And you're organizing a massive Jonathan Edwards conference that's going to be held at Yale Divinity School this October. 
what's the mission of this event? And did it come about because of the supply or the demand? Um, it came about mostly because of the arrival of the Andover materials, right? That was kind of the initial spark or catalyst for this. So it was, I believe, last year or the year before when Andover Newton yeah. joined with Yale, and so yeah. then all Pers- their sermons of his? All the sermons and notebooks and letters and personal writings and other things by Edwards, by members of his family too, by the way. They're, it's quite an extensive thing. Um, that that kind of spurs, you know, what should we do? We should do some sort of a celebratory or event, you know. But then it kind of snowballed into other things in which we saw, okay, we really need to also recognize the international nature of Edwards's reach uh, and the breadth of interest. And so we kind of brought them all together. We're going to have a... Um, exhibits with the manuscripts that will be at the Beinecke and at and at Yale Divinity School. Um, but then we're going to bring in representatives of the various centers from around the world, uh, from four continents, uh, coming in, and then we'll supplement them with um, nationally known historians and internationally known religious leaders. Wow! So we're we're going to try to. Package it all up in one big, one big swoop. If you three will. day event, three days, wow. <laughs> three days of, of of nonstop event. Yeah, it should be <laughs> it should be fun. It should be fun. So historians regard Jonathan Edwards as the major theologian of the first Great Awakening in America. Considering the religious decline of Christianity in America today, we can see it in the decreasing church attendance and other practices. What are the chances for another Great Awakening in America? Well. First of all, I think the question is rather um, what, perhaps North American and European-centered, because my impression is that there is a Great Awakening going on in other parts of the world. South right? America, Africa. South America, and the Global South, right? Um, especially in the charismatic and Pentecostal and, and related uh, movements. Um, so... There's that, right? There, there is, first of all, I think a great movement movement going on, but also the the nature of the first Great Awakening, as it's called, um, was that it was surprising, right? And and it didn't come in the way that it was expected to come. And I suspect if there was another one, it's going to happen the same way. It's not something you can predict. It's not something you can control. Um, and so. Without getting in the prediction game, you know, I would say that we can probably count at least on the uncount on the uh, surprising and and uh, uncontrollable nature of such things when and do when and if they do come. Mm. <laughs> so, Jonathan Edwards, and you mentioned this before, he preached over one thousand sermons. Is that one or two a week? I mean, how how often was he was he preaching? Well, in Edwards's tradition, and he's part of the Reformed and Puritan tradition coming out of Calvin and, and, and so forth, and in that tradition, um, in the congregational tradition, um, you would have two services on a Sunday, the morning and afternoon, and each service would require a sermon, 
And the sermons that Edwards preached, we calculate, usually were anywhere from 60 to 75 minutes each. Yeah. He's preaching for over an hour. You preach for over an hour. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, and, uh, Do you me- know, was he memorizing or was he reading it off the paper? I mean... <laughs> yeah, I think it was a bit of both. Um, you have to remember it was an oral culture, and so the ability to memorize and then relate that was a little stronger back then. They weren't such a print and uh, typographically um, grounded um, culture. It was though that was beginning to change at that time, of course. Um, so the act of writing out a sermon and then going back and reviewing, I think it was also a memorization. Did he have the whole Bible memorized? (laughs) I think he basically had the whole King James version of the Bible memorized, if if not entirety, then, you know, most of it. Um, That's pretty clear to me, the way that he was able to quote scriptures and his manuscripts and, and, and so forth. So if you had to choose one of Jonathan Edwards' sermons for our listeners to read, would it be Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, or would it be another sermon that maybe is more representative of his overall preaching career? We, you know, we used to run from that sermon and just do anything to divert people away from it. But I say, go ahead and read it, right? Engage with it and let it challenge you. But then don't just read that. That's part of the problem, that millions of students in high school and colleges have been kind of sentenced to read that one sermon, and then that stands as the proxy of the entire Reformed and Puritan tradition in America, right, which is, of course, totally bogus. Um, So so go ahead and read it, you know, let's embrace it. Uh, But then when you do that, also read a sermon like A Divine and Supernatural Light, in which Edwards talks about the nature of the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. And he talks about it as that supernatural and divine light. And that's an encounter of the individual with the deity, right? And how that totally changes your entire perspective and um, reorients you uh, anew, right? Um, that's the kind of thing you have to do. It's find something maybe to balance that out. So that's what I have my students do, for example. You know, what is a belief or view Jonathan Edwards held that may shock people? Well, the most obvious would be uh, slavery. <laughs> he condoned it. He condoned, yes, he believed he believed slavery was a biblically ordained institution, right? So, you know, what do we do with that? Um, well, we have to recognize it up front, you know? And I know that's a big hurdle for a lot of people, especially, obviously, for our African-American brothers and sisters. Um, but, um, you know, uh, I think you can still get a lot of out of Edwards once that's recognized and confronted. Um, There's also, along with that, we have to understand that Edwards was part of uh, a line that was leading to uh, the call for the abolition of slavery. 
um, Edward's own slaves. He believed slavery was biblically ordained. And yet he also in his lifetime came to realize that the slave trade was evil. Uh, and so he denounced that. So it's this halfway kind of measure, a step toward it. It was his immediate followers, actually, his own son, Jonathan Edwards Jr., his, his student, Samuel Hopkins, um, who actually became the first uh, people in um, pre-revolutionary America, beside the Quakers, to call for the immediate abolition of slavery. And they did that as a result of their use of Jonathan Edwards's ethical thought. So they, they kind of retailored. So maybe his legacy actually. So right. So so right. So in in sort of practical ways, and in intellectual ways, you know, Edwards influences. So what I I try to emphasize is that while Edwards was clearly out of step in terms of um, you know social justice in this case, he was on a journey. And I think if he had lived longer, you know, he may have come actually um, fuller circle uh, on that particular issue. I know that Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God does not characterize completely Jonathan Edwards, but can you give a little bit of an explanation of why that sermon is his most famous work? What is it about that sermon that has stuck for so long? Well, first of all, because it's just a ripping good sermon, right? Uh, and maybe there are only certain, I don't know, communities of Christians that can appreciate it as such. But also, um, it's a masterpiece of rhetoric. Edwards is there bringing together, as I count it, no less than two dozen different images from Scripture, tropes, images, and so forth, um, bringing them together and building them to create this effect of, you know, not so much hellfire and brimstone because actually the sermon isn't really about hell, is it? It's actually about the uncertainty of life and when you're going to be called from that to be accountable to God, right? Um, And so Edwards does everything he can to impress upon the hearer the um, the tentativeness of that. So the ground on which you walk is a thin, rotting covering that you're going to fall through at any moment. You're like a, uh, a little spider hanging from one little thread, you know, and it's, the thread is fraying, and you might fall at any moment. Um, God is holding back. He's damming up the waters of his wrath. God has the bow with the arrow on it, right? And it's aimed right at your heart, like this, right? And you don't know when he's going to let go, right? Um, so it's all these images of suspension and suppression there. And he gathers them all up and, and, and takes them along and, and builds this effect. Um, it's also, though, and thoroughly modern for his time, because this is no, these are notions of gravity, and who just uh, in his lifetime uh, described the theory of gravity? Newton. Newton, exactly. 
I got that answer right. So he's, <laughs> <Thank God. laughs> so Edwards is reading, he's reading Isaac Newton. He's mm-hmm. reading John Locke about human psychology. He's reading Newton on universal laws, right? And so, so these are influencing. These are memory. all parts of sinners in the hands of an angry God, right? Um, Edwards' philosophy is in there as well. This whole notion of God, everything totally dependent upon God, God creating and recreating everything from moment to moment. And if God decides that God is not going to do that anymore, you know, everything would dissolve into chaos, right? So it's this radical kind of dependence of everything upon a creator who is intimately concerned and involved with creation, which is totally against the kind of polite, deistic God that is, is emerging in the 18th century, the, the Enlightenment God, right? No, did he choose the title? Because, okay. He didn't actually. It was kind of supplied hmm. for him. I mean, he... Because to label God as angry. Yeah. Um, I think the, the, the publisher actually supplied that um, because the doctrine is that um, has to do with, you know, not knowing when, you know, God is going to take you out of the world, you know, and, and it, it's at God's pleasure that this happens. You know, it's this arbitrary kind of mysterious almost kind of working of God. You know, and so uh, this sermon should probably be uh, titled differently. <laughs> I mean, uh, angry maybe, God, maybe, angry God doesn't seem like maybe, it's getting but, the same idea. <laughs> yeah, maybe, but uh, I think the name is is pretty much stuck. By yes, now, so <laughs> I think you're right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Minkema, for joining us today. We learned a lot about Jonathan Edwards. Oh, well, thank you for having me. <laughs>